Welcome to Psychology Has It Backwards. This series will question the assumption that people are psychologically broken and need to be fixed. We will talk about how seeing people as innately healthy will change all of your interactions and outcomes. This is a true paradigm shift, and it simplifies the entire process of dealing with mental distress and allows for more profound and immediate changes. Aloha, and welcome to Psychology Has It Backwards. I'm Christine Heath coming to you from Hawaii, and I'm here with my very bestest uh, podcast buddy and friend and sister. She's a she's really a soul sister, and that's uh, <laughs> so what I'd, I'd like to introduce her. Judy Sedgman coming to you from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And I tell you what, I'm an only child, but if I had a sister, it would be Chris. <laughs> so. We thought we'd talk a little bit. We got um, a request from a listener saying that she'd really been helped by our podcast, but that she had been sexually abused as a child and she was still struggling with relationships and self-esteem and um, general not feeling good about what she's doing in her life. So we thought we'd... Uh, talk a little bit about if you could really be broken by trauma. Like I know a lot of people in our field definitely think that like with, with veterans from wars, if you go to the VA, people will talk about how you're broken. I'm broken. We're all broken because Mm -hmm. of how they came back from the war. And God knows being in war is hell. And, um, that was, it can be a very traumatic experience for people. Mm-hmm. And being sexually abused as a child is a very traumatic experience. Being physically abused as a child or as an adult or mm-hmm. being uh, raped as an adult, that these are all really awful things that people do to other people. And it's so awful that that sense of it being awful is what even makes it worse because we kind of grow up, especially females, I think kind of grow up with X amount of insecurity about men anyway. You know, Mm -hmm. like you don't walk down a a dark alley unless you have a can of mace in your hand. You know, you don't uh, put yourself in situations. um, You know, one of the ways I was understanding what it would be like to be a uh, a black person coming into one of our three principles conferences where everybody was white would be like me walking into a room and there were all these alpha males uh, together. And I was the only female. Like mm-hmm. I, I just realized like, Oh yeah, that would be really, I'd feel really insecure with that. Right. So I just want everybody to know that we know, and I know personally what trauma can do to you, but I also know that our thinking about it and the way that we carry it through time is what makes it appear as if it's still affecting us. And then when, when we don't understand this, right, when you don't understand how thought works, you do your best at trying to get beyond it after it happens. You get go through a trauma and then you try to get beyond it. So some people like use alcohol and drugs as a way to try to get the memories out of their head or they... Um, uh, might have a lot of um, sexual relationships, hoping that um, somehow they'll they'll feel 
love or even use sex as a way to get out of their thinking because you're definitely in the moment when you're doing that. So people will do different things of trying to deal with the thinking that they have about whatever happened to them. And the thinking that we do in our culture is already there, right? So it's like you already think this would be a really bad thing to have happen. And then when it happens, it's like, oh, yeah, this is really bad. And, and then you keep thinking about it afterwards and you keep going back to what happens. Like one of the um, people I was talking to was talking about how flashbacks actually were kind of a way that he thought that was a way that his brain would help him when he was thinking too much. That when he was really going fast and was stressed out, all of a sudden one of his flashbacks would come in his head and he stopped thinking about anything else. He said, I just got that, that that, that was a way that flashbacks actually was something that I was, in, in a way I was trying to help myself because I was malfunctioning with so much thinking. And I thought, oh, that's really interesting. I never thought about that. But usually we have memories of trauma when we're stressed out, when we're in kind of an insecure place in our life, and, and then we start thinking about it. But when you stay in that, when that memory gets on your eyeballs and you kind of go through time, everything that you do in your life gets altered by the way that you're thinking about yourself as a result of that trauma, right? So if you um, have, when by the time you're an adult, you've already got a lot of thoughts about relationships, about being lovable, about being good enough, about being wanted. All I mean, you, people can think a lot of different things about what's wrong with them as a result of what somebody else did, which I think is kind of interesting, yeah. So we've got that on our mind. We we have the cultural kind of conditioning that we all have of having this on your mind, that you got to worry about this. You have to think about it. You have to be safe. And so as we, when something happens, all that kind of comes together and then we carry that whole thing through time. All those memories get kind of mixed up. And so your relationships from that point on get altered because you're looking at it through this lens of being broken, that being your fault, not being good enough. And somehow, you know, somehow our ego gets in there and tries to take responsibility for it. So what we're saying is that before thought is your well-being. Before memory is your well-being. And that that's inside of you always, that that's your connection to whatever you see the source of life being, whether that's God or nature or energy or whatever. But it's that energy that each one of us has to be a part of in order to have the experience of life. That energy provides us with a sense of well-being and a state of mind when we're healthy. So that can't be touched by things in this world, things that happen to you in in the world of form. That is inside of you no matter what, and you are a part of that. So at that level, you can't be broken. Can can you have tremendous amount of fear? Can you live in a lot of um, uh, negative thinking? 
Can you be, you know, uh, depressed because life sucks? Yes. But that's what you have the ability to change if you see that that's not you, that you have the ability to connect yourself with your true self, which is the self that was there when you came into this world. And that's pure and absolutely cannot be, cannot be changed. I remember Mark Howard one time, we were talking about this and he said, God can't be damaged. That's ridiculous. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, it's so true, yeah. yeah. It's like, you know, we can't be damaged at that spiritual level. Your brain can, can malfunction. You can have physical things go on, all of that. But if you change and your state of mind changes, all that can change. All that can be different in your life. You, you know, I have a story that kind of illustrates this that um, it's from years and years ago, but um, there was a, a young girl that came uh, for help and she actually was with her family who was there for another reason, as a business reason. It was when I was working in a group and but she was very quiet, very withdrawn, very sad, you know, and she, she was just kind of hanging around and we were in a place where there were a lot of fun things she could have been doing and she wasn't participating. And she had an older brother and her older brother was, uh, was maybe three or four years older than her and he was having a great time. And so um, I guess we asked her mother, you know, how's your daughter doing? She seems a little sad. I said, yeah. You know, a few years ago, start a few years ago, and she she was a great student, and she was applying to colleges and looking forward to going to college and having, you know, just a wonderful time in school. And then we went away for Christmas, and after we came home, uh, she just withdrew, and she didn't care anymore. She refused to go to college. She didn't want to leave the house, and we don't know what happened to her, and I and I remember saying to the mother, well, did you inquire? <laughs> you know, I mean, like, that's a pretty big change. And she said she just didn't want to talk to us about it. And they hadn't sought help because they kept thinking, well, she'll get over it. You know, she must have had a fight with a friend and they were making up kind of small things. So I asked about the, where they go for Christmas break. Well, they went to a friend's ski chalet. And then the parents went off for a couple of days with another friend leaving the older brother who was in college and the to, and his younger sister in their place because they were old enough to stay alone. And um, the older brother just invited a bunch of buddies over. And so the sister didn't, wasn't really, didn't want to be part of that. You know, she was just a bunch of guys. There weren't girls there. And so she went upstairs and put herself in her room and went to bed. And um, some late, late, many hours later, some guy uh, that was at the party broke into her bedroom, well, walked into her bedroom, I don't think she even locked the door, and raped her. And she was horrified because she was, first of all, she was a virgin and didn't, wasn't expecting that. And second of all, I mean, it just was her brother's friend. And she didn't want to tell parents because she loved her brother he didn't know and she felt like she would get her brother in a lot of trouble and she didn't want to do that 
So she had so much weight on her mind. I mean, it took me a long time to weasel that information from her. She was very reluctant to talk about it. And she made me promise not to tell her parents or anybody. And and um, I said, well, I'm not going to tell your parents unless you're there and you're, you agree to it. But I certainly am going to talk to my colleagues about it. And they won't tell your parents either, but, you know, until you're there. But I'm telling you that the only solution to this is at some point you're going to talk to your parents. And uh, and she said, I can't, I can't. My brother is like, you know, he's a big time athlete. He's kind of the star of the family. He's doing so well. And I said, look, I know you love your brother and your brother loves you, but your brother is, and he's not responsible for this directly. He didn't know it happened. Had he known the guy was upstairs with you, I'm sure he would have come and grabbed him and pulled him, <laughs> thrown him out, you know, but uh, you, he didn't know. And if he didn't know, uh, then it'll work out. She said, oh, no, my brother doesn't know. I never, I never told him. So I talked to her quite a few times and she finally said, okay, I'll, I'll tell my mother if you're here, you have to be with, with me. I said, okay. So we brought her mother in, and honestly, her mother was so relieved to know what was going on with her daughter because she was she was thinking it was some rare mental illness or some brain something had happened to her. And she, when she found out what it was, she said, "Well, honey, you should have told us because we could have helped you." She said, "How could you help me? I'm ruined. This guy ruined me. I'm not a virgin anymore. He raped me. I could have gotten pregnant." and it was horrible. It was a horrible experience. And she's pouring all this out. And her mother said, yeah, I know. I know it's a horrible experience if something like that happens. And it happens too, off, too often to young girls. And I'm sorry it happened, but it's not your fault. And her mother said, she said, well, I know, but don't get, she named her brother. She, I don't want him to be in trouble. The mother said, he's not in trouble, you know, and, but we got to talk to him about it. Because he did a very irresponsible thing to bring a bunch of guys to our ski chalet when he was there alone with his younger sister, who was an innocent little girl. She was like 16, but she was innocent. And so he needs to be on the lookout for, he needs to take better care of young women than if he's going to spend time with people. And, uh, but her mother was so, God, her mother was wonderful. You know, she was so even killed about it. And you could feel the girl feeling better already. So then somebody else that was in our group talked to the brother and with, with the father. And the father wasn't quite so even killed. But, but the brother was horrified. He was horrified. He said, oh, if I had known that had happened to you, sweetheart, I would have taken you, you know, to see somebody. I would have told mom and dad. I would have taken responsibility. He's a really nice kid, the brother. He felt terrible. And, you know, once she had spoken it out loud and everybody was so kind to her and her family and so understanding, she kind of put herself back into life because she found her heart. Her heart was pure. Her family didn't think she was ruined. Her brother was sorry. Her mother wanted her to get help and to help her all she could. And by the next year, she was applying to college again and she went to college and went on with her life. And her brother, um, you know, became her biggest advocate and protector. 
you know, so they both went to a, the same state school and he was in graduate school by the time she went to college, but he was always looking out for her. And now not everybody's that lucky, but this, her story kind of lets you know that she had to find that in herself. She had help because the people around her were supportive. But once she acknowledged what had happened and was willing to face it and willing to say, you know, that was horrible, but, you know, actually nothing terrible has happened since. <laughs> and, and that she could look deep inside herself and realize that she was still whole. And she was fine inside. She just had had a bad physical impact. And um, I think so often what happens is women, they think that because their body has been violated, their soul has been violated. And that's just not true. No one can touch that. No one can touch that. And we, too much, we identify that, you know, sexual matters, especially with our very being. And really that's not our very being. And especially when you're the victim and you didn't see it coming and you couldn't do anything about it. You know, that's just a, that's like being, having somebody come out of nowhere and slap you in the face. You know, it's, it's, it's frightening and horrible, but it doesn't ruin your being. And, and so I think that um, when I think about that girl, I think she was very fortunate, much more fortunate than a lot of young women but you can find it in yourself, you know, when you talk to people like that or learn of people like that. She had, she, even with people being kind to her, she had to see for herself, I'm still okay. Mm-hmm. Deep down inside, I'm a fine person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the, that's the truth. You know, when you were talking, what, what hit me is that, you know, in the field of psychology, as we started, and I started out helping incest victims when uh, I was very young, like I was still in graduate school. So 20, 25, maybe 26. Anyway. Um, and at the time, nobody talked about sex abuse to women as being traumatic. It was like this nasty secret that you had, that it was something was done to you. So when we first started to help people, we realized that when people would talk to us about what happened and there'd be a positive listener, they would feel better, right? Well, then the field just goes to town with that because they don't understand about listening and about health and about love, the power of love. They get into the technique of having people talk about past trauma. So now, you know, like the military guys, these poor guys got to sit in a, in a, um, uh, simulator and have like, you know, experience, uh, uh, I, yeah. What, what do they call it? I'm not, I was going to say IUD, but that's a, uh, IED. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it, and they keep going over the past and talking about it and talking about, well, one of the things we know is the more you talk about something, the more real it is. So if you're always talking about how awful it is and how it, you know, even if you're always thinking that way, like you're kind of carrying that with you through time and it gets more real. And I think that what we have to have is a lot of compassion when we're listening to people. And you, you got to have somebody that you can talk to that you can feel will, will be coming from that feeling. 
But mm-hmm. as you talk about what happened, you start to see that you're okay when the other person is looking for the health in you, that they're talking to the health that's before your memories. And as you get that feeling, you start to relax, and then you can start to see how thought works in you. So what happened with the, the women that I worked with that were, you know, when I first learned the principles, everybody was a sex abuse um, victim or at least um, were involved with domestic violence or and in some way they'd gone through hell. And, um, you know, we'd been, I'd been running these groups for a couple of years and we'd be going over their past and, you know, trying to convince them that they were lovable and trying to convince them that they were okay and being very kind with them and, and loving. But uh, they just struggled. They had struggled with relationships. They struggled with it because they were trying to get the outside world to be okay so that they could let go of being damaged on the inside. And you have to do it the other way around. You've got to see, you have to see this with a capital S-E-E, to, to see that you are that pure sp- spiritual energy of life. And when you see that, then you start to notice how thought works, how memory works, and how you've created a reality out of that insecurity that was not true, but seemed true to you. Mm-hmm. And so when I started to introduce the principles, I mean, I went to a, you know, a day and a half training, and all of a sudden I realized the power of the past on our eyeballs. I, I realized it for myself, and I realized what I was seeing in my life was whatever I'd gone through in my life. And it was coming from me. Well, when I saw that, I cracked up laughing. I cracked up (laughs) laughing. So I I, I thought, oh my God, uh, this is my thoughts. And I'm like reliving them all over the place, right? So then I, um, I, I went to my clients and I said, look, you guys, you know that I've always tried to do what I thought was the best for you. And I, I have to tell you that I'm gonna do something totally different now. And I'm going to change how I do therapy. And this is going to be a lot better for everybody. So I sat down and I did my best rendition of the principles. And they were all, they all sat back and said, oh, this is what's been missing. Oh, I didn't understand this. Oh, okay. And, you know, I think maybe two, two women stopped coming um, out of 65. And everybody else got into this incredible feeling and they started to change and their um, menstrual cycles changed and their ability to have relationship changed. Like I went to seven weddings that year and I hadn't had seven of the clients get married and had one get married in the seven years before that. Right. And so that's kind of the, the, the changes happen. I remember thinking at the time, like, these are all the things I wanted for them to change. And I, they were trying so hard to, to do it. And when they shifted and they got into a healthier state of mind at a, at a deep enough level that they could see that it, they were thinking, their life changed. And, and they became, like, one of the women became a PhD and a teacher of the principles and was taught at San Diego State University. Um, and, you know, it's, it, it's just amazing to me to see what transformed. And none of us knew what the heck was going on. It was like, whoa, you know, I'd be like, whoa, what just happened? 
because that feeling just kind of took over and came out of me. And all of a sudden, everybody else started to wake up around me and they started to have healthier relationships, especially with their mother. Most of them just had a terrible relationship with their mother because the mother was also very insecure. But, you know, it was like all of a sudden they were, they stopped writing about how their mother hurt their feelings and they started talking about what a great trip they had when they went home and um, how much fun they had with their family. And all of a sudden they started to heal. And as that feeling came out of them, they were able to let go of that thinking and recover. Yeah, you know, Chris, I think the beautiful part about what you just said is that it's it's not painful. You don't have to go through a lot of pain. I think there's been an assumption that in order to get through something terrible, you have to re-experience it and feel the pain again and understand the pain. Mm-hmm. And the fact is the pain is the way you're thinking about it. It isn't the thing. The thing is over and it might mm-hmm. have been very painful in the immediate aftermath, but subsequent pain is the thoughts that we have about it that it makes it worse and worse and worse the more we think about it in a low state of mind we start thinking more or worse things about it yeah and um for people to be able to reach a level of quietude inside where they see that they're thinking they see oh i think about this this certain way and every time i do i get really upset Mm -hmm. but it's not because of the thing. It's because I'm thinking about it that way. Mm-hmm. That is a huge um, change in people because then it they're is, in charge. It puts them yeah. back in charge of their own life. Yeah. Yeah. It's And they have confidence because things start going their way. You know, like they, things start working out for them. And there's a tremendous amount of self-confidence that comes by knowing that you've got an inner guidance system that can't be damaged. Because when you look at your thinking, you make a lot of mistakes. And so it's like, oh, man, I can't do my life. I can't have a relationship. I can't have sex. I can't do anything. But that's nobody just loves me. <laughs> yeah, nobody loves me. I'm unlovable, actually. And, yep. you know, the, the, um, the, the thing about it is that when we, like, we make up stories that create, that, that's the trauma we carry through time. You know, we make up stories about ourselves because just like the little girl that you talked about that got raped and thought it was her fault and that she, there's something wrong with her. Because that's the best our thinking can do is to mm-hmm. think about something that's maybe controllable or that you have, you understand at one level like this. Otherwise, it's kind of like hard to understand why a human being would do that to another human being. And I so we make up like why, and it's usually about the person that's the victim. And, and sometimes it's about the person who did it. So then all men look scary, all abusers. Like I've got guys in my um, uh, domestic violence group that were sexually assaulted as, as little boys. And they kind of walk around with this, with their fists up, you know, where they're always getting into fights and they're living in hell because they can talk about it at all because any kind of uh, sexual abuse of a boy, they'd start to get all thinking about their sexuality and um, they're embarrassed about it. And it's, they weren't, they weren't a strong man, you know, there's all kinds of thinking that affects them too. So it, it's you know, the beautiful thing 
about what you're saying about seeing this just thought is that you do get lighthearted about it. Not about what happened to you per se, but you start to live in more lighthearted feelings. So like the groups that I did before I did the principles, people would come out with red swollen eyes from crying and, you know, a garbage pan full of uh, Kleenex from everybody using it because they were crying and talking about how awful it was. And, and in fact, one woman would guide, you know, gear how much better she was getting by the number of Kleenexes she could go through <laughs> because she's able to express her feelings, right? But when I changed, all of a sudden, it was funny because we, we had this waiting area and all the other therapists used the waiting area um, that I, and my room was just off of it. And all of a sudden, I did these groups and peals of laughter would come out of the group. All of a sudden, there was this this, this really uh, lighthearted thing. And the clients that were seeing the other therapist would go to their therapist and say, what kind of therapy is she doing in there? You know, like that, that looked a lot more enjoyable. But there was some way that you, we all, that seriousness about trauma makes it seem like you can't be lighthearted about it. But really, the more lighthearted you, you get, and I'm not saying like, oh, wow, that was fun. But where you just start to have a lightheartedness about life, you stop thinking about those awful memories and they stop getting on your eyeballs and you start having a different life. Yeah. And when people are deeply, deeply insecure about something or secretive or scared by it, uh, that insecurity causes them to be very self-absorbed. It's not... It's not that people are selfish, self-absorbed and selfish are very different, but it's like all they think about is how am I going to stay safe? How am I going to, what was wrong with me that that happened to me? What should I do different? And, you know, a non-judgmental mind, Sid Banks always said, is a mind at peace. Mm-hmm. And we always forget that judgmental doesn't mean just how we look at other people. It's really how we look at ourselves. Mm-hmm. And we, we fail to realize we're just people. We're just ordinary human beings with an with a incredible connection to our creative divine source, you know, the energy of life. And that, that's what we all have in common, but we all use it differently. But um, that's unbreakable. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a fresh start every time you have a new thought. Mm-hmm. And so that's our hope for anybody that's been through trauma is to be able to realize that it was, it didn't define your life. It was a moment in time. Mm-hmm. And it's, if it's over, uh, live in the present moment as much as possible. Yeah. And, you know, like if you're, if you're struggling with it, believe me, I, I understand that some, some, sometimes it's those thoughts are like, feel like they got you by the throat and they're choking you to death. You know, and, and, and it's sometimes people then like, what's wrong with me that I'm learning these principles and I'm still caught up in this? Well, nothing. There's nothing wrong with you yet. Sorry. But mm-hmm. if you go deeper and you listen, and I'm going to give us a little plug for our program, you know, come and join our program. We'll help you because you can learn how to be free of that. And I just want you to know that it doesn't matter what's happened to you. It doesn't matter what's happened to you. You have the same amount of mental well-being as anybody else. You just have to find how to access it. And with that, we'll say aloha. Take good care of yourselves. Mm
yeah, take care and be well and we'll see you next week. We hope you heard something new and that you will continue to join us to challenge the prevailing thinking about the possibilities for health in everyone. To subscribe to the podcast, visit our website at psychologyhasitbackwards.com 